Last Sunday, I began a new series entitled, Help, I'm a Church Member. And the whole purpose, the whole goal of this series is to make sure that the members of Fairview understand what it means to be church members. I hope to accomplish that goal by going through our church covenant. But whether you're a member of Fairview or not, I trust that God will use this series to help you to understand what it means to be a church member. Thus far, uh, we have seen the covenantal badge, the covenantal relationship, and the covenantal commitments of a church member. And I'm using that word covenantal on purpose because I want us to see that being a church member is related to our church covenant. So if you don't like that word covenantal, throw it out. Uh, When we come to what we said last Sunday, it speaks of the badge of a church member, the relationship of a church member, and the commitments of a church member. And the badge of a church member is that he or she has received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and has been baptized in water. You cannot be a church member without being born of God and without being baptized. The relationship of a church member is that the church member enters into a covenant not between him or her and God, but with their brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of a local church. That's the essence of being a church member. You enter into a relationship, and that relationship is by means of a covenant, and it's before God, before angels, and before fellow members in the church. And it is a covenant that is to be taken seriously. Our church covenant says most solemnly and joyfully we enter into covenant. So the idea is not that somebody is holding a gun to our head to make us enter into that covenant. But instead, the person is joyfully running down the aisle, so to speak, to be a part of a church family. And then we looked at the commitments of a church member. And that's really the the body of our church covenant. It focuses in on commitments, 17 of them. And I don't want to list them one by one, uh, but I hope to group them together, and I hope that we can see them from a broad perspective. Last Sunday, we saw the first commitment of a church member, and that is to walk together in Christian love. When you become a member of Fairview, you are agreeing to, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are fellow members of this church. It's not a private walk. It's not a 
a, a, a walk where you're separate from your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're locking arms with them. You're recognizing that God has designed the local church to help you, to assist you. That the local church is not just a place you come on Sunday, but instead, as you go through your life as a Christian, there are a group of brothers and sisters in Christ you are walking with together as you seek to please God. And you're walking together in Christian love. That love that is to be characteristic of the people of God. Today, I want us to see the second commitment of a church member. And that second commitment of, the church, uh, of a church member is to love the church. And can I make it a little bit more particular? To love the local church that you are a member of. A church member loves the church. And I just want to refer you to that portion of the church covenant. The church covenant is in your bulletin. Uh, If you look at the outline, there's also a portion of the church covenant. But I I want to read this portion of the church covenant. Uh, And basically it starts off by saying, we agree, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want us to focus in on. To strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge holiness, and comfort to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully, amen, to contribute cheerfully and regularly, double amen, Uh, to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. When I read that portion of the church covenant, what, what it's telling me, in essence, that the commitment that I should have as a church member is to love the church, to love the local church. And loving the local church should not surprise any Christian who's familiar with his or her Bible. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ loves the universal church. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Jesus Christ loves the church. When Paul writes to the Christians at Ephesus in Ephesians 5, verse 25, and he says, Husbands, Love your wives. How? Like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ loves the church. And the evidence that he loves the church is that he gave himself for the church. That is, he died on the cross. That's Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who himself gave himself that we might be redeemed and and possessed by God. And then in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul, when he's with the elders at Ephesus, at Miletus, he says that Christ purchased the church. Purchased the church. You want to know the purchase price? He purchased the church 
with his own blood. That's how much Jesus Christ loves the church. That he went to the cross and paid the penalty price for sin. That he might purchase for himself a people for his own possession. Jesus Christ loves the church. And the church member ought to love the local manifestation of the church that Christ loves. It goes without saying. And so, how does a church member love the church? First of all, a church member loves the church by striving for its advancement. Striving for its advancement. That is, the church member wants to see the church advance. Wants to see the church progress. Wants to see the church grow. It seeks the advancement of the church in the area of knowledge. Peter, that great apostle, wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter, in the very last verse of that book, in 2 Peter 3.18, Peter ended that book right before he gives a doxology. He says to his readers, but grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, I want you to grow. I want you to increase. I want you to advance. I don't want you to stay at the same level all of your life as Christian. But grow. Increase. Not just in God's grace, but grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be growing day by day in our knowledge of Christ. We, we, we ought to know more about him. And we ought to know him more intimately. But the church member wants the people of God that he or she is linked up with, who makes up the family of God, to advance in knowledge. But not only in knowledge, but also in holiness. That same Peter, in his first letter that he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, turn with me there, because I want you to see it with your own eyes, this strategic passage on holiness. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible on the idea of holiness. Holiness. And Peter says in First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But like the Holy One, who called you. He says to his readers, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Peter demanded holiness in the lives of his readers. Uh, in this, these verses, he talks about the model for holiness, the standard for holiness. And who is the model? Who's the standard? God, who is holy, who called us into salvation. He talks about the manifestation of holiness. That holiness is to be shown 
in every area of our life, in all of our conduct. See, we have a holiness that's Sunday morning holiness. You come to church on Sunday, we look holy. We got our holy Bible. We got our holy shoes. We got our holy suit on and our dresses. That's not what we look like during the week. But, but, but we have a holiness for Sunday. You know, Peter says, be holy in all of your life, in every area, in your thoughts, with your words, and in your deeds. And he says the motivation is be holy because God is holy. Your heavenly father is holy. And so the church member wants the fellow members to advance in holiness. There's another area that the church member wants to see the advance, and that is in the area of comfort. In the area of comfort. One of the great passages, and you don't have to turn there, but I would recommend that you read it on your own, is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. It talks about comfort in the midst of affliction and suffering and hardships and difficulties. All of us, at one time or the other, will be there. And we can experience comfort in those circumstances, in those situations. Ten times the word comfort is used. We learn that God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We learn that God comforts us so that we might turn around and comfort others. But, but the church member wants to see the church advance in the area of comfort. And what that means on a practical term, the church member wants every other church member to be able to say, it is well with my soul. That's the covenant. That's the commitment to, to, to try to help each and every person advance in comfort, to, to make that the goal for the church. So a church member loves the church. How? By striving for its advancement in the area of knowledge, holiness, and comfort. And I just want to say to us, there's no way that you're going to be able to help others advance if you're not advancing. It really starts with us on an individual level advancing in knowledge. Are you growing in your knowledge, your intimate experience with Jesus Christ? Do you know him more than you did last week and last month and last year? Is he real to you? Oh, yes, I, I, are you taking advantage of the time to know about him? Do you take the opportunity to learn more about Christ so that you can know Christ in an intimate and personal way? What about when it comes to holiness? Are you striving to be holy in your thoughts, 
when you're on the computer and you're gazing at images, you're interacting with people, are, are you advancing in holiness? In your thoughts, in your words, and in your deeds. And can you personally say that despite all of the ups and downs of life, despite the times that my life has been in the pit, or in the valley, or on the mountaintop, I can say that it is well with my soul. That I'm experiencing the eternal comfort that comes from God in his son that God says is mine and wants me to experience day in and day out. A church member loves the church by striving for its advancement. But I also want you to see that a church member loves the church by promoting its prosperity and spirituality. Promoting its prosperity and spirituality. And when I talk about the prosperity of the church, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm not talking about bank accounts. I'm not saying that uh, you should be promoting that Fairview will expand its buildings and expand its bank accounts. No, what I'm talking about and what scripture is talking about when it speaks of prosperity is us being, as a church, successful. Successful in the things that God has called us to do. We ought to be covenanting with each other and agreeing with each other that we want our church to be successful. We want our church to be prosperous. That's Jesus' plan for the church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, after Peter made that wonderful confession, Jesus says, I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build my Bible school. He didn't say, I will build my mission organization. He did not say, I will build my parachurch. He didn't say, I will build Paul's personal ministry. He says, I will build my church. So if you want to be on the right page when it comes to living your Christian life, you have to be involved in the local church. That's what Jesus says he will build. He has not promised to build all these other things that we invest time in. He said, I will build my church, that universal church that manifests itself in a local place like 1215 Marlborough Avenue in Inglewood. So if you want to get on board with Jesus' plan, he wants to see the church prosper be successful, and he's promised that he will build his church. And so that's what we should be promoting, the success of the church. But also not only promote the church from the standpoint of prosperity, but also spirituality. We do need to understand 
the nature of the church. The church is not a financial institution. The church is not some educational center. No, the, the, the church is not an entertainment place. The, the church is not even a political organization that some people want to make it. No, the, the church is the household of God, the household of the living God. 1 Timothy 3.15, if you want a good definition of the church, what is the church? It's the household of God. It's the household of the living God that is to support and uphold truth. The, the church is a spiritual institution. To put it another way, Paul says that the church is the body of Christ. It's a living organism. We're placed into that body when we get saved by the Holy Spirit. The head of the church is Christ. The members of the church are the body, makes up the body, believers. And the church is all about the glory of God. We must never, ever forget, Fairview, that we are first and foremost a spiritual institution, a spiritual organization. Doesn't mean that we don't enter into other areas of life. But, but we must never, ever lose our identity. That we are a living organism. We are the representation of the Lord Jesus Christ here in this particular location. So whatever we do for the community, uh, we don't want to be known as the barbecue church. Some of you laugh at that because there is a church that is known as the barbecue church. We don't want to be known as the barbecue church. We don't want to be known as the basketball church. We want to be known as the living church of the living God. And we have to strive to work together to make that a reality. Our prayer should be the same prayer that Paul had in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And Paul came to the end of 1 Thessalonians. He offered a prayer wish, a prayer that reflected his desire and his wants for the church at Thessalonica. And this is what his prayer wish was, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. That's the spirituality of sanctify you entirely, talking to them as a church. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ be preserved without blame. This is the heart of a church member who loves the church. They seek the prosperity and the spirituality of the church. And so I ask you, Fairview, members of Fairview, are you promoting the prosperity of Fairview? And I'll bring that up in a very 
easy way. Do you see needs at Fairview that need to be met? And you're a member of Fairview. You, you, you see the need. And you have the ability to be used by God to meet the need. Are, are you all about the success of this local church? Or is it about your own success? Or your own ministry? There are obvious needs in our local church. And some sit back and criticize. But, but the church covenant says what we do, we promote the success. That is, we dive into trying to make our church successful. So we want to have a successful Sunday school. We want to have a successful Awana. We want to have a successful music ministry. We, we want our church to prosper. And the question is, are you committed to loving the church in that way? Are you committed to the spirituality of Fairview? That you're doing your part and you're helping others actually reflect the spirit of God in this particular location. Well, there's more regarding the commitment to love the church. The third thing that I want you to see is that the commitment to love the church by a church member means that the church member sustains the essentials of that local church. The way that you love Fairview is by sustaining its essentials. When we went through the pandemic, all of a sudden people started using the term essentials. Essential, this is essential, these are the essentials. Well, when it comes to the local church, there are certain essentials. And we need to sustain those essentials. We need to support those essentials. What are they? Worship is to be sustained. Uh, turn with me to a couple books back to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Worship is to be sustained. It ought to be the commitment of every church member to support Corporate worship. You know the verses. Some of you have been hit over the head with these verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And here it is. Not forsaking our own assembling together. The, the writer of Hebrews said that the church has a function. It, it motivates, it stimulates us to love and good deed. And, and it happens in a context where people who belong to God do not forsake the assembling of themselves together. And the writer of Hebrews adds a sad, tragic phrase when he says, as is the habit of some as is the habit of some. Even back in the first century, there was a problem with church attendance. There were those who professed Christ, those who would say they're Christians, who were in the, the habit. 
of forsaking the assembling of themselves with their brothers and sisters in Christ. I would love to tell you that that's not a problem anymore. But you can look at our own church. You can look through the directory when you're looking for your own self to see how many in our midst have gotten into the habit of forsaking the assembling together of believers to worship our great God. As if we're coming together out of ritual and routine and not doing anything significant, we come together to worship God and to worship Christ from the depths of our soul. There's nothing more important than that. And the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake assembling together. Worship is to be sustained. The ordinances are to be sustained. The church has been given two ordinances, water baptism and the Lord's Supper. That ought to be something that characterizes the church and that we participate in. Discipline is to be sustained. That's an essential. Now, discipline can be used in a positive sense, but it's also used in a negative sense. It's used in the sense of um, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. I didn't put that in the outline, but it should be there. Matthew uh, 18, verses 15 through 20, where the Lord, even before the church came into existence, taught about church discipline. When your brother or sister in Christ gets involved in an observable sin, how there's a responsibility to that individual. My friends, let no one at all fool you. Church discipline, the act of restoring a Christian in sin, is a loving act. If you find yourself in a sin, it's a loving act on behalf of your brothers and sisters in Christ to confront you, to admonish you, to seek to restore you. Discipline characterizes our God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the writer of Hebrews says that God disciplines those whom he loves. If you don't discipline your child, you don't love your child. If you let your child just do harmful things and wrong things, etc., and you don't bat an eye, you don't love your child scripturally. And if we see our brothers and sisters in Christ in sin, and we don't say anything, we don't confront them, we don't help them, we don't encourage them, we don't get alongside of them and say, let me help you, this is not what God wants you, we don't love them. We are to support and sustain discipline. Every Sunday when I get up to preach, I see who's here. We're not that big of a church. And I see certain people who aren't here. And we need to go after them. We shouldn't just say, well, they're tired. No. Been a heavy, heavy week at at, at the job. That's true of almost everybody. Nobody's resting all week long. 
But come and get refreshed. Come get rejuvenated by worshiping with the people of God. Also, doctrines are to be sustained. You ought to know what we teach as a church. And you ought to be able to articulate that on your own. I was riding to church recently. And I saw the JWs, the false teachers, call themselves Jehovah Witnesses, knocking on a door and knocking on a door of a neighbor, a member of this church. And I was saying, I sure hope so-and-so knows how to deal with those JWs. Sure hope that so-and-so doesn't get taken in because they don't know about who Jesus is and that he's God in human flesh, etc. But, but we are to support doctrine. The, the early church is our model. When that church was born on the day of Pentecost, it is said in Acts 2.42 that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They learned theology. And they realized that theology wasn't just for the head but for the heart. That, that it would serve as the foundation of living a life that honors God. And so we need to take advantage of that. We need, uh, when we become a church member, we covenant to sustain the doctrines of Fairview. To take advantage of Sunday school. To take advantage of Wednesday night Bible study. To take advantage of an LABTS. Whatever means necessary to grow in the doctrines, to know what we believe. So a church member loves the church by supporting its worship, its ordinances, its discipline, and its doctrines. And the area that I am most concerned, and the area that I personally need to improve in, and I think we need to improve in as a church, is that we need to remember that we have entered into covenant with one another as members of Fairview to sustain corporate worship. That we should be fixtures, we should be regulars at the worship of God on Sunday mornings. And we should, should care enough about others and, and, and seek them and find out why aren't you being a part of corporate worship? Why isn't that a part of your life? It's unacceptable. The right of Hebrews says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Lastly, let me get to the favorite subject that you've been waiting for anxiously. How do you love the church? You love the church by contributing <laughs> to its endeavors. Maybe I should use the word that you're all familiar with, giving. Giving. Now, I could preach many, many sermons on giving, but I'm not going to do that. But I do want us to understand that when we enter into 
covenant with one another, when we become a church member, we are saying that we are committed to contributing to the endeavors of the local church that we belong to. Now, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 says a lot about giving. All I want to do is provide you quickly with some bullet points and I'll be finished. Here are the bullet points with regards to giving. Give of yourself first. Give of yourself first. God wants you before he wants your wallet or your purse. Understand that. In 2 Corinthians 8, 5, Paul commended the Macedonians because they gave of themselves first to the Lord. The the, the reason sometimes money is an issue for us and giving is an issue because we haven't given ourselves first to the Lord. Give intentionally and consistently. That is, plan on giving. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, give as you have purposed in your heart. You shouldn't decide what to give when the offering tray is passed. There ought to be some intentionality to your giving. Give cheerfully, not grudgingly. As someone said, uh, if there's going to be laughter in the church, it ought to be when the offering trays are passed. Everybody should be laughing. Oh, no, so happy. Rolling out in the, the aisles. That's the joy over giving. Give cheerfully, not grudgingly. You know, the picture is somebody's got their hand in their pocket holding on to their money, and the usher's trying to pull it out, and they can't get it out. Give cheerfully, not grudgingly, and give as the Lord has prospered you. Some of you are stuck on this tithing stuff. That's Old Testament. That's under the law. When you come to the New Testament, you give as the Lord has prospered you. And I think 10% could be a good place to shoot for. And for some people, that might be a great step of faith. And as you've heard me say before, for other people to give 10% is sin. Because they're able to give more than that. The Lord has prospered them. So proportional giving is what the Bible teaches, not giving 10%. I've given my 10%, well, 50% goes to my retirement, et cetera, et cetera. Give primarily to your church. There are some great ministries out there that people can give to, like Los Angeles Bible Training School. <laughs> but give to Fairview primarily. If you got some crumbs left over, maybe God moves you to give to other ministries. But but the local church is what Jesus Christ said he would build. That's where your giving is to be directed. John MacArthur ain't going to come and bury you. Tony Evans is not going to come to your bedside and minister to you. Yeah, they, they got great teaching ministry, but if they're teaching correctly, you give to your local church. Lastly, because I know some of you don't like this topic, give intelligently. Don't have your blinders on when you give. And by that, our church covenant basically says, 
if you're going to give intelligently, hold Fairview accountable. Hold this church accountable for giving to support the ministry, to support the expenses of the church, to support the relief of the poor, and to support the spread of the gospel. Hold it accountable. And one of the best ways you can hold it accountable, come to a business meeting. Come to a business meeting. So there's a lot I could say about giving, but I will end it here. These are the commitments that fall under the umbrella of loving your church. Do you know that it is impossible to love Christ and to not love his church? Don't be deceived. You cannot love the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't love his church. The church is the bride of Christ. If somebody tells me, Pastor, we love you, but your wife can't stand. Now, normally it's just the opposite. <laughs> we love your wife, but it's you. We can't. But, but we're one. You, you can't love me and not love my wife. In the same way with the Lord, we got people around her saying that they love Christ and don't want anything to do with his bride, which is manifested all throughout this world in local churches. And so understand that if you say you love Christ, then you must love the church. And the way you show your love for the church is that you make sure that you're seeking its advancement, supporting its prosperity and spirituality, that you're sustaining its essentials, and that you're contributing to its needs. My prayer, my hope is that God will use this sermon and this series to help us to understand what it means to be a church member. And in particular, that you will love the church that you belong to. Sometimes as I'm driving through the city, I see bumper stickers on a person's car saying, I love in the name of the church. I'm not asking you to get a bumper sticker that says, I love Fairview Heights. But God ought to be able to see that bumper sticker in your heart. You ought to be able to see in each and every one of you who's a member of Fairview that you love the church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the help of our church covenant. Thank you that it's helpful because it's rooted in Scripture. It's based on Scripture. And Lord, my prayer uh, for each and every one of us who's a member of Fairview is simply that we will love Fairview and that our love for this church will be manifested in the different ways that we have talked about. Father, I pray for those who are not willing to commit to the local church. They date the local church, but they don't 
want to marry the local church. I pray that you would work on their hearts. And I pray for those in our midst who are members of the local church but aren't functioning. Pray that you use your word and use this covenant to help us to be about what you want us to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you love the church. Help us to love your church also. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.